and welcome to Here's Johnny's Horror Reviews. Let me feel a few podcasts that will try to be nice to movies, but may end up having to slice and dice them. Each and every month there's a thing. And as it's October, I'm doing a one-off October's, which is my look at movies that never got a sequel. Tonight I'm looking at the little-known 1991 horror popcorn starring Dee Wallace. Now... I first saw this at an all-night horror-a-thon at my local cinema, which sadly closed down in 2004, and I have well, no longer do these movies, and I can't find anywhere else to do these bloody all-nighters, I mean, crying out loud. Hello, Odin, Cineworld, get on that! Anyway, now, I knew nothing of this when I sat down to watch it that cold night. I think it was like two in the morning or something like that. Hmm. Uh, but this indeed ended up being the highlight of the night. From the information I could find online, it was a chaotic set with the lead actress and director replaced three weeks in. This was then cut to shit by the MPAA and it tanked. However, it is now a cult classic. If you can find this thing, it took me years to find this. An actual copy of it, that is. I finally found it at some grimy little swap shop for five quid. So I bought this thing and have watched it uh, on and off for about five or so years. I mean, dear God. So grab a snack, take your seat, it's time for some popcorn. Oh yes, and excuse my voice, I have a really nasty cold, which is a pain in the tits, but moving on. <clears throat> With this unknown budget, this thing pulled in $4.2 million. This was also shot in Jamaica to keep the cost down, hence why it has reggae music, something I cannot bloody stand, but moving on. Starring Jill Sholin, Tom Villard, Dee Wallace, Derek Rydell and Ray Walston, directed by Mark Herriere and Alan Ormsey, I think I pronounced his name, he was the first director that was quickly replaced. The plot, when a group of college students want to put on an all-night horror fest to raise money for their, I don't know, course or college or hell it is, they find a mysterious film called The Possessor, which was made by a crazy cult of the 70s and only shown once in which the leader killed his family and burned down the cinema. Now, 15 years later, someone is out to get revenge on moviegoers and indeed students who then go a-missing throughout the night. Who is this killer? What does the cult have to do with it? Can our elite find out who she is? Or is she just going to be stuck in a bad dream? I find out here. So, after the studio logos of studios I've never bloody heard of pop up, we see a bathtub of plain white masks are just floating there as up pops the titles and not. Popcorn was used because there was a huge plot point in the script, but it was cut out. However, the producers liked the title Popcorn, so here we have it. I mean, why the hell would you not call it something else, like The Processor or something like that? But no, they call it Popcorn. Because reasons? Anyway, on to the bedroom of our hero, Maggie, played by Jill Sholin. She's a film fan, even. How do we know this? Why, she has... The happy, sad theatre mask and photographs of various movies all over her walls. And note, she replaced the original actress Amy O'Neill three weeks in for unknown reasons. Also, in this opening dream, 
this actress actually fell asleep for real? I mean, uh, she's trapped in a nightmare of exploding fireworks, the 70s Doctor Who TARDIS wormhole, a little girl running to camera, a bearded man's head on a platter, fire and a flaming knife. Confused? Good! You should be! <laughs> oh my god, this movie's so fucking insane. Oh my lord. She's awakened from her dream by her alarm, just as he, she was going to be killed by the bearded man with his huge zigzag knife. Calling her Sarah, not Maggie. The fuck? She talks into a dictaphone about her dreams. As downstairs in the kitchen, we meet her mother, Suzanne, played by Dee Wallace. Uh, is this how she plays the actual mothers? Every single fucking movie she's in, she plays the mother. Anyway, she gets a crank call about the ninth ring of hell. She thinks nothing of it and just continues to make her daughter's breakfast. By the way, this house, kitchen and movie is all sorts of late 80s, early 90s. The fashion, the music, the decor, the lot, my lord, it just screams late 80s. Maggie has no time for food. She's running late so she runs out on some OG and I think it's a scone she eats for breakfast. The fuck it is. Or a bagel or what the hell it is. Talking to her the phone as she goes. She's a wannabe writer. Kidding. Cue uh, the late 80s funk music as she's running late for class. And note, even though this is set on Los Angeles, it's actually shot in Kingston, Jamaica. She runs into her boyfriend, Mark, played by Derek Rydell, who plants a kiss on her, asking her for outdoor sex. The fuck? She chases him off, saying she has no time for dangerous sex, as she's working on her great masterpiece, the script that comes out late at night. Uh, like an asshole, he sulks off, saying he happens uh, he happens to like her. However, if she keeps on stringing him along, she will be replaced, and it's her fault for shining him on. The fuck? She, uh, not missing a beat, then pulls out her dick to phone and continues her quote-unquote writing. Okay then. Is in class, we meet Bud, played by Malcolm Don. Donnie, I think I pronounced his name, the class clown who also is in a wheelchair. Johnny, played by Yvette Solar, the wannabe Marilyn Monroe. Cheryl, played by Kelly Jo Min Minter, she is the, the token black chick. Tina, played by Freddie Simpson, the overly stressed TA. Leon, played by Elliot Hurst, the class loudmouth. And... Toby, played by Tom Villard, the wannabe Hitchcock. Finally, there's Mr. Davis, played by Tony Roberts, the pissed-off film professor who tells his class they're getting their budget slashed again as the college sees them as unneeded and indeed the budget would stretch for them. I can kind of see why there's only, what is there, one, two, six people in this class? Kidding. So Toby comes up with a plan to have an all-night horror a thon showing classic movies from the 60s. And when I say classic, I mean bottom of the body barrel, the last rung on a ladder, or the first rung on a ladder, actually, whatever. But shoots down the idea about this, uh, he says, why not do a play instead? Which is then shot down by uh, the professor, saying he's far too loud for this. As Toby adds, the Pussy Academy movies are at fault for this because apparently they're killing society. 
Leon then points out that the Police Academy movies are more relevant than any of the Eggman Berman shit, or indeed the Hitchcock crap. Okay then. And I'm getting Scream 2, the original cutscenes that is from this. Maybe this is where Kevin Williamson got this idea from. Trust me, you'll get this if you actually know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you actually watch the deleted scenes on the DVD slash Blu-rays. Because it goes on and on and on about... Um... Movies are, are to blame for society and blah 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 and sequels suck and this and that next thing da 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 da. Trust me, just watch the good scenes. You'll find out what I'm talking about. Anyway, channel points out what makes them think people will pay six bucks to see some crappy fifties flicks. As the professor points out, they'll be all be gimmicked up to the wazoo. Think William Castle movies. Around the cost of renting a cinema, hiring the movies getting food for the event, but how much will these, quote, gimmicks cost to run? Hmm, never mind that one. The professor says whatever money is left, they can put into a class film project, saying he will charge them ten bucks a piece. Now, I've been to many, many, many an all-nighter movie-a-thon. Never have I paid more than six or eight quid. And these were not 40-year-old pieces of shit movies. These were 5 or 10 years atops. So there is no way I would pay 10 quid for three movies from the late fucking 50s that I have never even bloody heard of. But I mean, they are fake movies. That's not the point. The point being, I don't give a French fry titty fuck if this thing has 3 do vision, fucking smell vision or indeed shock vision Fuck if I'm paying 10 quid for... Three shitty 50s movies. Anyway, I'll declass all vote on this idea, and it is put on. By the way, as I pointed out earlier, there's six people in this class. Shouldn't this thing be fucking cancelled? The, the university slash college is right. Cancel this bloody programme. Anyway, Maggie is too busy drawing up her vision for her movie to give two shits what she does as she just votes thumbs up. Cut to Dreamland Cinema. And note, this is, slash was, the award cinema in Kingston, Jamaica. Toby then calls this place the House of Ushers. Get it? The old Vincent Price movie, The Fall House of Usher. There's a lot more of these throughout the bloody movie. Again, I'm getting Scream. Five years before it came out. Toby explains, while literally taking centre stage, this place is getting pulled down in three weeks. This is its last hazard. As in walks a crazy rich old man, Dr. Uh, Mona Say, I think it was his name, played by Ray Walston, who tells him he owns the cinema and has all the gimmicks and indeed all the movies, so not to worry about that. Handy that! Sit with me here, folks. Lazy writing! Q, well, hello, Tony! From him as. Tony says, my name is Toby, not Tony. Oh my god, this writing. Cut to him showing off all the crap, oh sorry, all the things need to pull off this crazy idea. Now it's illegal to show movies and charge anyone to watch them, including public, I don't think that's including public, I mean, movies actually, I'm not sure about one, because I remember when I was in college, I tried to show some movies and I got that shot down immediately, saying it was against the law. We should try it love it dead, but yeah, who knows? Anyway, where was I now? It's like, so Dr. M, as Toby calls him, 
goes on, he worked in this place years beforehand, therefore he owns everything. I'm not sure how that one works, but there we have that one. Saying he hates the multiplexes because there's no showmanship, which I can agree, actually, I mean, hmm. Cue a montage scored by Saturday at the Movies, done in a very bad reggae beat. During this, we see a 60s popcorn machine, a clock that tells you when the next scream happens, i.e. the movie, an electronic control board for the electric shockers, again, think William Castle. Also during this, Toby is making face masks of the entire class to dress up in period costumes. Okay then. As in the projection room, Joni and Leon play a trick on Bud and Tina while testing out the stencil vision tanks uh, using wet dog and locker room instead of fresh daisies because that's hilarious, right? Finally, after five minutes of this montage, Bud finds a mysterious film reel in a box, so they decide to watch it. They find it is a weird 60s, 70s experimental movie with an eye and some other weird shit. This sets off Maggie as the bearded man from her dreams calls himself the Professor. Sorry, the pro uh, the Professor. Uh, possessor, even. Possessor, Possessor. Anyway, she faints when she sees the zigzaggy knife. Hours later, she wakes up to the entire class, staring her down. Do not do this shit, folks. It freaks out the fucking person that has fainted. Jesus, jinkies. Anyway, Toby wants to sh show it because he thinks if it's that scary, he's on for a winner. The professor then explains it's called the pro uh, the possessor, done by a film cult of the 70s that were only shown once as a, the leader of the cult killed his entire family on set. Uh, well, actually, on the main stage, rather, and then burned down the cinema. The class then vote not to show it, but it's now under Maggie's skin. Cut to Maggie's house, and I swear to God, it was a lot like Sydney's house on screen, with her mother telling her not to think about the film, nor Lanyard Gates, played by Matt Falls, the man of her nightmares. She knows nothing of him, or indeed the cult. She then tells her to quit university, and she'll take them on a long cruise. Maggie says no. She's been dreaming about this guy for years, and she wants to find out the truth. With that, she goes to bed. Cue another crank call. Did Craven watch this and take notes for New Nightmare? Hmm. The mother answers, it's Lanyard, telling her he is the possessed, the possessor. She'll be in the ninth ring of hell for what she has done. With that, she heads to the cinema, where, armed with a gun, she talks to the screen, showing Lanyard, uh, okay then, not before, outside, the billboard attacks him with flying letters before it spells out, Possessor, okay then, how much weed was smoked, how much of what was drunken, ingested, and or injected, what the fuck is going on here, once inside, Lanyard, on the big screen, tells us it's been 15 years and if he's back for revenge. Suzanne screams, no! Then is spooked by ghostly noises before being knocked out from behind and grabbed by zombie hands. The fuck is happening here? Next morning, Maggie's up to find no mother but a full breakfast waiting for her and a knot saying, tonight's the big night. Get him. It's night time. Time for all of us to go down. 
to Scary Scary Movie by Susie D and Stevie G. As the montage of people show up, buy tickets and enter. Some of them are in full fucking costume. Yeah, that's a no. Not a chance in the pits, the very bowels of hell. Would this happen in real life with people wearing outfits that they can barely fucking move in, let alone sit down for seven hours at a bloody good time? Also, everyone has exact 10 bucks? I think not. You just know some douchebag would have a 50 for fuck's sake, I mean, hmm. At the door, Joanne and Tina are handing out the horror pack, i.e. the 3D glasses and a nose peg, etc, etc. Again, I'm getting screamed too. Mark shows up with a date, some blonde who has a go at Maggie, because she's a complete bloody bitch. And this guy's a real fucking charmer. And he has one knocked his super fragile ego and has replaced Maggie with this blonde. So, the movie starts and the place is bouncing. A strange man in a trench coat and hat with a terrible wig throws ten singles at Maggie and walks in and just vanishes into fresh air. The first of the three fake movies is Mosquito in 3D. A supposed 1950s monster movie about a mosquito that is hit by a nuclear bomb and grows to monstrous size. The army is tasked to kill it just in time. What the hell is this thing? Anyway, in true 50s fashion, this has terrible acting, terrible effects, and indeed is sexist to the wazoo. However, they are all... These were filmed for this movie. So, why couldn't it go a hold of a public domain 50s movie, monster movie that is, instead of doing these fake 50s movies and costing more money? I mean, honestly, bloody God. Anyway, as this is happening, Maggie is on the hunt for the mysterious man in black as he's vanishing to fresh air. Once he calls her Sarah. This guy teleports over the place, I swear to God. First he's at the suite counter, then he's in the balcony, then he's in the lobby, and then he's in the projection room. Finally he goes backstage. Who the fuck is this guy, Jason fucking Vorties? Maggie goes up to see the projection room and tell Toby she's seen a lanyard, but Toby says, don't be bloody silly, he's long dead. Unless of course he has survived, after all his body was never found. A dun dun dun. Maggie, of course, thinks this is a great idea for a movie and wants to hunt him down. Sweetheart, your mother is missing. You're getting stalked. The man of your nightmares is real. But sure, love, you hunt this guy down. What's what can happen? Toby then agrees to hunt for the man in black. How very Halloween 5 to 6 is this movie? Hmm. Leaving Maggie to run the projector. Meanwhile, the crowd is loving the 50s shitty ass movie as a giant mosquito goes on a killing spree killing a whole field of sheep and then some hick farmer blah 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 toby is somehow locked outside by someone so he has to run back to the front of the cinema who locked him out who the fuck knows meanwhile mark leaves his date to jump scare maggie who knocks him on his ass and according to what i read this um guy that played Mark did all his own stunts. So some tattooed bullying douchebag guy steals his date. As backstage the professor is killed by a huge prop mosquito which impales him because out of the shadows is the man in black who is controlling it via a, um, a radio control thing which you know the, the, the RC cars. Anyway moving on. The crowd goes nuts for this big 
bug prop as it flies around the cinema. The movie then wraps up with the army killing the bug with a huge A-bomb explosion. Quickly, the man in black springs into action, hiding the body of the dead professor at all costs, and then he makes a mask of the professor's fucking head. This movie is now all sorts of dark, man, as it shows the process of making a mask. And I love he has dozens of plain faces just floating around a fish tank, but he must use the professor's face. Why don't you use one of the many, many masks you've got in there? I mean... No time for that one, however, as Maggie has to explain to the dumb Mark about the man in black, how she might be in danger, etc, etc. Mark doesn't believe or believe this one, as in storms Toby with a ripped suit, shouting and bawling about how he had to jump the fence, landed in trash and then was chased by a guard dog, and he barely got away. How long has he been out there for? 30-40 minutes? This move doesn't believe or see. Anyway, on to the second of the fake movies, The Attack of the Amazing Electrified Man. This stars Bruce Glover, for some fucking reason, as he hums us up beautifully. Maggie returns to the box office. Shouldn't this be closed, love? I mean, the event has already started. As Mark buys popcorn for his date, Cheryl then just mocks him for being a player. He returns to his date, but the bully guy just starts a fight thing and knocks him on his arse. Uh, okay then. So, back to the fake movie. Every time Bruce Glover's character is shocked by an electric chair or indeed goes on a killing spree, shocking them, then Bud presses a button on the control panel thing that randomly shocks someone in the crowd. Think the tingler. Uh, as the movie plays, Tina goes backstage to find the professor and is quickly killed when she kisses the professor's face. It peels off to show us like Freddy if he had a facelift with staples all over his face and he has two bright orange eyes. He strangles her with a rope, then steals her face after he uses her dead body as a puppet to... I don't know, this is this is ridiculous, but he holds up like a puppet and puppeteers her from behind in a ridiculous scene where she he she tells Maggie and Mark to shh as the movie is playing and indeed the professor is missing. So somehow they end up outside and Mark locks him outside because he's a fucking idiot. So the two must I don't know, go round the front of the cinema again. I mean here she pulls out a thin air. The man in black must have used a mask to hide his ID and they can't trust anyone. Where did she get that idea from and who the fuck wrote this? Next to die is Bud as <coughs> Tina. Um, and he hooks up the generator to his wheelchair and then shocks him to death. Just how much juice does this shocking device have if... It can kill buds. What the fuck is this thing? As is happening, the fake movie, in the fake movie that is, Bruce Glover is killing some 50s greasers straight out of Sometimes they come back. Meanwhile, Maggie and Mark have made it back inside, with Mark worse for wear, as the guard dog has ripped the arse out of his jeans. I told you, however, Joni has stitched up both his jeans and his wounds, as Cheryl 
and her mock this hapless idiot. With Bud dead, the cinema is plunged into darkness, so Johnny and Leon check out the fuse box. Meanwhile, the um, band sing some bloody song, which is not even a bloody in the, in the cast, uh, the, the credits rather, to keep the, the crowd quiet. One thing here, they're playing electric guitars, electric keyboards, and indeed an electric drum kit. How? Also, some have all the shit set up on the fucking main stage. Who in the fuck wrote this? Anyway, backstage, Maggie finds Bud's dead body. Nope, it's the man in black who tells her she's his daughter and he's back for revenge. She then screams, No! And her best stuff in her voice. My fucking voice nearly cracked it. <clears throat> So she runs in slow-mo and cue a daymare of fire, lanyard killing her real mother, and some other weird shit. She's then running into mist, doing her best slow-mo run. Again, who the fuck wrote this? This is all sorts of nightmare on street rip-off, as a young girl, Sarah, morphs into the adult Maggie, running into her dead mother as Susan shoots lanyard. What the fuck is happening? All this is happening while the 70s Doctor Who time stream is playing in the background. Buddy, this little girl is about nine. You're telling me a nine-year-old would remember any of this? I don't fucking think so. Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you know it? Maggie runs straight into Toby in the dark. Who doesn't believe the man in black is real? Maggie drags Toby backstage to tell her her script is indeed not real. It is her nightmares, which it was her real life. So she's writing her own backstory. Okay then. Suddenly he's a believer. He takes her to the basement to get the lights back on, as he is of course knocked out in the dark. Maggie is wandering around the basement with the world's brightest fucking flashlight. I swear to God, it's like a fucking spotlight. She's hearing voices in the dark as the man in black kidnaps her. The lights turn back on magically. Time for fake movie number three. By the way, who is working this projector? Toby is missing in the basement. Bud and Professor are dead. The man in black is busy with Maggie. Suzanne and Leon are dancing on stage with the band, no matter, because this movie is terrible. It's time for the stench, a Japanese horror with smell-o-rama or stench-o-rama. Uh, by the way, did Japanese films news gimmicks? Hmm. Anyway, backstage, Maggie is tied up with the man in black, about to make a mask of her face. Cue the twist, Toby is the man in black, and it's taken him years to find her again, and indeed years to gain her trust just for this night to take place. And note, it took four hours to get Tom Villard in and out of this bloody well makeup. He continues, he has an electric voice box, so he can sound like anyone he wants. Also, once he has their face, he can be anyone. Never mind the fact that he is much taller or weighs less, or did a body type, or in fact, he is a man, not a woman, but moving the fuck right on. By the way, I'm getting stream three for this bit, where he has a voice box, so he can sound like anyone. Anyway, he goes on to say he was a follower of Lannard and was burned in the fire. He barely got away but spent years getting skin grafts until 
he finally picked the Freddy meets Pinhead look. And this is one day where the movie comes unglued. And I swear to God, Tom Villard channels Matt Frewer as One More Man, or indeed Jim Carrey as a regular. He just goes off the fucking rails and goes completely bug nuts. He explains while chewing every inch of the scenery, he plans on showing the Possessor and finishing it live on stage. It'll be his ultimate masterpiece. As back to Mark, who has to deal with his pissed off date, even though she told him she wants the bully. So Cheryl and Joanne try to stop her from belittling Mark. So she tells Cheryl to shut the fuck up and move, mind your own business. Cutie cat fighting fight, kinda, as Cheryl knocks out the bully and then rags all the blonde out the fucking door. Mark then has to run to Toby's house for reasons, as in the basement Toby shows Maggie he has Susan in a full body cast standing up holding a gun. Indeed, she'll shoot and kill Maggie at midnight after he plays the, uh, Possessor. Uh, like I said, this thing goes bug. That's insane. He starts acting like a six year old uh, child as Suzanne says Lanyard was insane. He screams, Like a liar, pants on fire. What in the fuck? Some great writing, you must admit. I mean, hmm. next to die is Leon as he has to go f- to take a piss. He turns to see himself, who then pisses on him. And then he throws him into a stall, locks it from the outside, throws in a gas bomb, which is toxic gas. And when the fumes hit the light, it explodes, killing him. What the actual fuck did I just watch? With that, um, Leon goes to kill Joanne. But she tells (laughs) Leon she loves Toby, so he runs off into the basement. Tony goes full Matt Frewer in Generation X. Yes, folks, the failed X-Men TV show from 1996. Look it up, it's beyond awful. And screams insanely. He has his own problems, and now he has a new lover? Okay, then. Meanwhile, Joanne is spewing out the stench of a dead body, so much so it's all over the cinema, about two feet fucking deep. The fuck? Toby has set up... Um, hold on here. Right, Toby is behind this this the the um the screen setting up his movie finale as he dances with Susie in a full body cast, screaming, "Nasty, nasty Susan with a nasty, nasty gun, bang, bang." I'm speechless. I'm sorry, but this is fucking insane. So Mark has arrived at Toby's house, finding it empty. So the landlord lets them in and they find all the weird shit he has done. And indeed, they find that he has made mass of everyone he knows. Also, they find newspaper clippings and headlines of the fire and what happened to Toby after the fire. So, if there was newspapers, then how did Susan manage to keep Maggie's ID hidden? In the same fucking town this thing happens in! Oh my god, who the fuck wrote this? Jesus, jankies. Anyway, so Mark runs back to save the day. Toby has set up the... uh, I can't fucking say the smart for some reason. The uh, possessor. Real 
Bearing in mind the other movie is still playing, how the fuck does it? Oh my god, it's showtime! People throw shit at the screen and boo and hiss. So she'll run up to turn it off and it won't stop. Toby places Maggie in an Iron Maiden and then dresses in a white dress, all the way spewing out film quips as you do. Mark has made it back, but the doors are locked, so he climbs up the side of the building and into the cinema. Toby then starts his movie live on stage, mimicking what Lanyard is doing on the screen. The house lights go up, even though they haven't been down the whole fucking time. The curtains opened as Maggie screams for help, and why the fuck am I getting screamed too? As the crowd think this is all an act, it's all fake. Toby then screams he won't kill her unless the crowd demand it. Of course, they're out for blood. So Mark is now inside, wants to stop it, but he's stuck on the balcony. So he has to use his belt as a death slide to get down to the stage, tangoing cash style, to stop Toby. He fucks up and misses, hitting the mosquito prop as he crashes into a pile of boxes, because of course there's boxes behind us yet. Toby then screams he's ruined his plan as the prop mosquito impales him. Now dead, the crowd go insane. Mark rescues Maggie, the two kiss, the crowd is loving this as Toby slowly dies. Later that night, the cops show up to take statements, cut away the bodies and it crowd control as Maggie and Mark make up. She says her life is a movie, he says let's make it a comedy, the two kiss as credits roll. What the actual fuck did I just watch? Scream well before Scream's even thought of. There is some good stuff here, don't get me wrong. Some clever ideas, but this ending is fucking insane. I love how it doesn't explain how Toby, Toby, rather, got out of the fire, or indeed how he ended up with that face. How he can quickly change it, I mean, change the voice and change this, just a drop of a hat. The writing thinks it's cute and clever, but it's failing miserably. If Suzanne wanted to hide Maggie, then why the fuck did she do it in the same fucking town this thing happened 15 years earlier? Oh my god. Tom Villard channels Jim Carrey on speed, I swear to fucking god. He chews up every inch of every screen he's ever been on. This is just fucking insane. I'm going to give this thing a 5 out of 10. So, come back this week as I look at They, a creepy-ass movie from 2002 about shadow people. Then, the rest of the month for more one-off horrors. Now, don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. Also, follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod. Check out my other horror franchise podcasts of Hellraiser, House, Resident Evil and more. Also, my solo podcast of Child's Play, Evil Dead, Scream and many, many, many more. A bye. And remember... I watch these bad movies, so I don't have to. Now, bye.